You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Nick Choksi. Nick is an incredibly versatile actor, a musician, a songwriter, and an animator. He is my husband's best friend, and we all went to Juilliard together, and he has been a rock who's helped us battle hard times more than once. I'm so happy to finally have him as a guest on The Compass. We could have talked much longer, and there were a few questions I wasn't able to ask, so I might have to have him as a guest again some point in the future. I hope you enjoy the 19th episode of The Compass. <laughs> Probably a little bit, but that's fine. I'll take that's the reality of the reality of where we are. Yeah, Is he known for his loud swallowing? Yeah, there was a, when he gave the response to Obama, maybe the last State of the Union, two State of the Unions ago, he gave the response, and during the speech, he just stopped speaking and went off screen to grab a bottle of water and started drinking it and made like a... <laughs> he was obviously really nervous. I um, do remember hearing about this now yeah. that you mention it. He was sweating. I think he was drinking, and it was just coming right out of his face. So today I have Marco Rubio <laughs> to right. talk about his artistic career. I believe in everything crazy. Also known as a much more sane person called Nick Choksi. Three, two, one. Nick Choksi. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick, I'm so happy that you're um, talking with me for the podcast since you helped me like come up with a plan last summer when I was trying to figure it out. And oh, man. It, it really it, helped me a lot, so thank you. My pleasure. It's amazing it's come so far. And I, I think I don't, I don't want to take all that much credit. You had the plan and you, I was just like... Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, go. You literally lent me your audio equipment for like eight months. So <laughs> you know, thank you. audio assistance by Nick Choksi. That's Slash me. let me bounce ideas off of you. So. My pleasure. And your beautiful wife, Stephanie, was my second guest on episode two. So now now you're going to be, I think, number 19. Number 19. Yay. Awesome. Uh, so how do you try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist? Uh, well, the dark side for me feels like... Um, like doubt, like anything that gets in the way of uh, making stuff. I was thinking about this, as everybody does, you know, not wanting to, you know, come in with, here's my lecture on how I deal with it, because I don't know, you know. But it feels a little bit like, um, 
for me it feels like the seventh grade lunchroom a little bit like if i am experiencing what what i would call the dark side it's that feeling of oh shoot i want to sit at the lunch table but i don't know where to sit and i don't know if anybody wants me to sit down and so you just kind of like are paralyzed you know but like yeah it's like it's like middle school the dark side for me is like middle school <laughs> so that being true how do i stop from going to the dark side um wait is that the question <laughs> yeah <laughs> three two one nick jokesy how do i stop from going to the dark side yeah uh because the dark side has a lot to do with doubt i feel like talking to uh friends and family about what my specific doubts are really helps because if i can name them like what is the voice that is telling you there's no room for here you here at this lunch table uh what does it sound like who does it sound like and sometimes when i can localize that it makes me like see how silly it is like why do I feel like I am not a great singer, for example? Oh, there's a voice in my head from an ex-girlfriend who like, told me I'm not a great singer when I was like, you know, 16, 15, 16. And now that I've said that out loud, it sounds so dumb. And like just saying it makes me think, oh yeah, even though I'm feeling that feeling of, oh, I'm not good enough to hack it with all these other great people, that voice is coming from a voice that I can identify as like an outdated voice, a totally unrealistic and illogical fear based on some like some real experience I've had. It's a real feeling, but um I don't know, when I when I say it out loud the words of I'm afraid this person is going to think I'm X. Uh, and then I say that, and I, and I do, I think that person is going to think I'm X, not good enough, not smart enough, not whatever. No, I don't really. They've actually invited me to come audition for them or come like play for them or do a drawing for them or whatever. It's like, oh yeah, the thing I'm afraid of is actually just me like cycling some old voices through my head or something. Right. Yeah. And saying them out loud kind of takes the, the yeah, power away. Yeah, saying them out loud kind of takes the power away. It doesn't necessarily make the feeling go away but it definitely takes the power away and makes it easier to like sit down and work i think i think for me the dark side is like anything that gets in the way of making something it's like the light side is creation and you know progress the dark side is uh anything that shuts you down or um arrests you or freezes you up and so saying what the fear is out loud tends to free up that kind of paralysis so that you can go do the thing you were trying to do in the first place. Um, do you feel like it helps to, like you said, talking to, to friends and family, like talking to somebody who sees you as the best version of yourself and who oh, can yeah. kind of reaffirm you and be like, I, I have the complete faith in you and I see you as so talented and yeah, definitely kind of counteract that, that, false vision you're having of yourself yeah it can it it definitely is so important to have those people who really see you and can be your cheerleaders when you need it can like say what they see when they need it when you need it sometimes it's like yeah i see you and i know you actually do do that thing well or i see you and you actually do this thing better you know that's mm. very helpful but even though it is helpful i'm thinking about times where 
I have a kind of doubt in myself about something. And the other person says, like, you know, Stephanie, for example, my wife, Stephanie Thompson, episode two, says, <laughs> but hey, you're really good at that. There are times where my doubt like cancels out her voice where yeah. she says, you're really good at it. I believe in you. And it's a struggle to like receive that because I'm like, in my own head, I've decided I'm not good enough. I don't believe in myself in a certain vein. And even her saying that is not enough to make me believe it. So sometimes I have to like trust, like, I don't feel like you're right. I think I'm actually really bad at this right now, yeah. but I'm going to choose to believe you. And uh, hmm. it's tough, but sometimes you got to like walk fake out it, on that limb. Fake it till you make it. Fake <laughs> it till you make it. Feel, feel more confident oh, than you man. actually are. Faking it till you make it is actually so great. And so like... <laughs> Sometimes I look at, you know, one one thing that is relatively new in my life is uh, songwriting. I only came to it like maybe like 20, 2008 or nine when we were at school. And part of the reason is I, when I first picked up the guitar when I was in college, I started writing some little songs, some little like fun, silly songs. But I, there were some voices that in my life at the time that were like, hey, that's fruitless. That's like not a not a good thing to do not it's stupid you know <laughs> some people come into your life and are negative influences and you yeah. can see it going back yeah. looking back but um i the reason i was able to get back into it was because there was somebody who i thought was kind of a a bit of a doofus he's a friend but he's just kind of a doofus and he was like well i just wrote this song about this i'm really proud of it and i thought Man, he can write a song and he's a doofus. <laughs> like, I, I, I surely can write a song. Yeah. I, in fact, had a song that I had written down in my journal like two years before that I just had not shared with anybody. So I finally like challenged myself to share it and I was freaking out as I was playing it. My fingers were like trembling, but I shared it. And like, I think that was a real fake it till you make it. And he was definitely faking it till he made it. He's a talented musician. He's a very good guy. But <laughs> sometimes, man, faking it till you make it is, you're actually making it yeah, while you fake it. And now, I mean, I think your songs are beautiful and you've done so many different things with your songwriting since then. We did one together. All, yes, all of which I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, but before we talk about kind of your self-generated projects and all the different the different ways that you express yourself as an artist, which I find so inspiring... Can we talk a little bit about how you deal with um, like the mainstream part of your career and like the business side of acting and auditioning and how you try to approach it without going to the dark side constantly or to make it a positive experience? Yeah, I think I um, when I came out of school, I was feeling really great about auditioning and I feel like I got a lot of uh, positive reinforcement from people telling me you know, the industry is prime for you. Things are going to be great. You're going to get out. You're going to book a pilot. You're going to be a movie star. <laughs> you know, all this stuff. I'm blowing so much smoke up my butt. And like for a while, I felt pretty great just because I felt like, oh, I feel like confident in myself. I feel like I know how to, how I want to work on stuff. Treat each audition like a rehearsal. Go in like ready to work and like with a sense of play and all that stuff. But then at some point, 
I had this one really bad audition and there was a lot of fallout from this audition where people were like, oh, we think you've got the wrong impression of you. We don't think you're, the feedback came in and they said, you're not funny. And I'm sure it was like some casting assistant had mentioned something offhand and, but it turned into this whole thing and it got in my head and I was like, oh my God, I, I don't know what to think about this. Side note, Nick is one of the funniest people I know. <laughs> <laughs> Three, two, one, Nick Chokesy. And, uh, but I, I think there was a period where I started like trying to do what I thought they want me to do. Mm-hmm. Cause I thought they want me to do something that I just don't understand. And like, I don't sound like the people I'm watching on TV. So I must need to do something else if I want to get this stuff. And it led to a kind of like, like dry spell, like a long dry period. Um, And I think it's still something I struggle with from time to time. But the thinking about what they want me to do, always, it's a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. And I think having been on the other side before, like, you just want people to come in and do themselves and do the thing they like and that makes them excited and it's right for some parts it's not right for other parts and it's tough to like let go of that chip of either a what do they want me to do so i can do it or b i'm probably not going to get this like that is a really not a helpful thing to go into an audition with i've done that for commercials i've done that for film and tv stuff for theater you know, where you go in and you're like, I'm probably not going to get this. And so even if you are doing your, your, the best work you can do, you know, try not to let that into the room. Like, you know, if music be the food of love, play on, you know, not like that. <laughs> but like, even that thought of I probably won't get this is like, not helpful. And so I try to like, I know sometimes I'll have that feeling, but try and like put that away and like, Remember, it was like when I first got out of school, just go in, treat it like a rehearsal and have a sense of play about it. And uh, it's a practice, not a like destination. I have to remind myself before every audition, like just go in there and meet them and do what you want to do and have a little, have a fun little rehearsal. Like, uh, like Richard, our acting teacher used to say that each audition is a chance to do your work and it's yeah. a reminder. It is. Yeah. It's, but it is a hard, it's a hard mindset to keep. It's tough. <laughs> I don't think there's any like, oh, I've done it. Oh, I am so zen about my auditions. I, I still right. think it's, I've got some tomorrow that I'm feeling like good about, but also I know that like 20 minutes before I'm going to be like, don't freak out. Why <laughs> you know? is my hand shaking? Why is my hand shaking? <laughs> yeah. Um. So I wanted to talk about the food odyssey and the band play a little bit and how those projects kind of came about and how it's helped you to be a writer and a producer of your own work yeah well food food odyssey happened first uh peron yusuf zada a good friend of ours uh director extraordinaire about town um shout out to peron uh 314 (laughs) (laughs) st louis area code um uh, she had this idea for a play about food and our relationship to food and our relationship to the other people via food many years ago, like maybe around 2010, around the time, right after I graduated. So it started as a series of discussions with a 
thought that maybe we'll make a play out of this one day. And over the years, we would meet every now and then and generate stuff. And I wrote a song for it, and then it turned into a thing where, oh, maybe we think there'll be some songs in this thing. And then introduced the idea of having Odysseus and Penelope be characters, and, oh, maybe we'll make the story about them. So by the time we had, like, made the production um, imminent, gotten the funds together and done all that stuff, uh, we had an idea of what the play was, but, like, we were writing it as it happened, and that's when we cast uh, Ms. Leah Walsh at My Strong Insistence, uh, which was an easy sell, soft sell. <laughs> I was so lucky to join it like right before you actually put it on its feet. Right when it was getting good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, your character, we were still like um, really figuring out. It kind of like appeared a couple versions ago, and they were like, oh, this is a great character. Um, but it was definitely like you helped us figure out who that gal was. There was a great moment where we got to write a song together. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what you remember about it, but I remember us walking from rehearsal to the train and I was asking you a bunch of questions about Frankie and your relationship and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But that was a special Maps. time. Maps. <laughs> yeah. And then the next day I came into rehearsal and Nick just written this beautiful song <laughs> that was perfect. That was so fun. Yeah. Um, but that project was the first time I'd ever been involved in a process of making a play from inception to realization and man it ain't no joke it it's like so amazing and so important to pursue independent work in whatever capacity Um, but it also takes a lot of time and a lot of fundraising Mm -hmm. and then you do it and it's really special for three weeks and then it goes away and like I think there's still talk and hopes about it coming back at some point, but I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where try and do things without thinking about the product or thinking about the goal, you know, not thinking about the destination. And sometimes you just got to like trust that things will go the way they are going to go and need to go and just keep like putting stuff out there and it's tough to do. Uh, and you can't like do it every day. I mean, that play took five years to to make. Um, but it was really exciting too to feel like we can we can just make something because we care about it, and because we care about it, and we're human, and there are other humans around who will probably feel similar things to us. Somebody else is going to care about this thing and think it's, you know, touches something in them or makes them think differently about something um so it was really exciting it was really exciting also to feel like that was the first time i had ever written music for a show and um there were quite a few songs too there's a lot of songs i think everybody had at least one song and um yeah it was it was looking back at the time i felt like it was a few too many hats like being in the show and writing the songs and trying to figure all that stuff out I'm so glad I did it all, but at the time I was just going nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I I there was so much music stuff to do, writing the songs, notating them, orchestrating them, all that stuff. That I, the only time I had to like learn my lines was during rehearsal <laughs> while I wasn't working. Um, and you were also the main character. <laughs> also the main character, or at least a main character. Yes. Um but 
man, it was it was an amazing yeah. experience. Um, before we talk about uh, the band play, you, I mean, I've known you for a long time now, and you are someone who has always like pushed himself to the limits as far as how much you pile on your plate and how much time you're willing to give to things, um, which I really admire. And also sometimes worry about you not getting yeah. enough sleep. Yeah. Because I know that like during school and then afterwards too, like you're not afraid of pulling an all-nighter. Yeah. And that kind of thing. Where where are you with that right well, now? That was when I was a younger man. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I, I feel like... How's your journey been with how much you're heaping on your plate these days? I mean, I think being married has been a big like... I mean, finding that relationship and fostering that relationship and then being married has really changed my point of view about all that stuff. Stephanie, uh, my wife, episode two, <laughs> uh, is um, really good about prioritizing sleep and making sure that that happens. It's very healthy. I also floss more because of Stephanie. I'm trying to eat less <laughs> sugar. I'm working on it, honey. I'll get there. Um, but I feel like before that came into my life, it was really like... Every minute of the day is doing something, you know? And sometimes it was productive stuff, and sometimes it was distractions, but it was still something. Um, and yeah, I didn't get a lot of sleep. But um, I think her coming into my life and making me kind of reorganize my priorities about, like, well, what quality output can I do if I don't take care of myself? That was a good shift. Also... As you kind of build a life together, you kind of pick up each other's best habits in a way. And so she right now is working this uh, nine to five job at uh, this company, AppNexus, great company, great people. And um, so th that's kind of dictated our schedule a little bit in kind of a good way that like she gets up at 730. I get up with her, make her a smoothie. Uh, make her some coffee. She goes off to work and I start my day and then she comes home and has to go to bed by like maybe 11 at the latest to get enough sleep and so i go to bed at 11 and um in a way it's kind of like organized our day well at least for me in a much more healthy way yeah i think also there was when i was a younger man uh <laughs> there was the feeling of like you just got to say yes to every single thing and i would say yes to everything every yeah. reading every drink somebody wanted me to grab every like go see every play go you know, work on everybody's project. Um, and I think I've become a little more discerning as I've gotten older and as I've been like, you know, I don't have 27 hours in a day to give. I've got maybe this many hours because I need to give this much time to my own stuff that I find important. I need to give this much time to my life at home with my wife and our home. I need to give this much time in a week to like you know, family and friends, and like, I only have so much left over, and that's very valuable. And it'll only get more, like, selective when, God willing, we have a kid, you know, like, it's kind of a slow narrowing to, like, mm -hmm. just the most important things. So I feel like over time, I've kind of been able to pare away. I think when you're young, you gotta say yes to everything to, like, find out who you are. Um, and then you find out who you are, and then you can just do who you are which takes less time, but you wish there was more time, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, well, tell me a little bit about the band play too, because that's... 
such a cool project. I know Brendan Spieth and I talked about it a little bit when he yeah. was on, but episode it was four, your... maybe. I'll have to check. Think... I'll look while you. We'll, we'll start fact talking. check that. We'll get the fact checkers on it. But There's it a whole was your team of people. Idea. It was my idea. I had this idea for a play while I was watching a bad play. I was watching a bad play, and I. I was thinking about what kind of play I wish I was watching, and I was kind of wishing I was at a concert. Episode four, you were right. Episode four. Brandon I listened to every episode of The Compass. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, so I was watching this play. Th- I, I used to watch a lot of like VH1 storytellers. I feel like that stuff is really exciting. Tiny Desk Concerts on NPR. Check that out. It's great stuff. Um, and I had this idea about what if there was a reunion concert where some story got spilled accidentally and everybody in the room thought like, oh, is this supposed to be happening? Oh yeah, because there was this one moment in this play I saw that wasn't good, but there was one amazing moment where it was a one-man show. The guy who had written it was uh, like a recovered alcoholic. And there was one like moment in the show where he got really emotional and everybody who knew him was getting really emotional. Hmm. And everybody who didn't know him was like, feeling kind of awkward or odd or like I think something is happening in the room that I'm not sure about and no matter where people were everybody like woke up and like paid attention and so I was really interested in that kind of moment of I think the person on stage is actually going through something right now and I don't think they wanted us to know about it Hmm. so that was where the whole idea started like what if that happened at a reunion concert where this band who hadn't seen each other in a long time got back together and there was some moment of realization or recognition or some change that happens like just under the lyrics, you know, that everybody felt a part of. Like, how could we make that happen? So that's where the idea started. And then I thought about who I would want to be in the band and in the play and everybody I asked said yes, including your husband, Frankie J. Alvarez, uh, as the kind of like host of the rock show and music historian, and Gabe Ebert, and Brendan Spieth, and Damon Dono, and Elvi Yost as the members of the band. Um, so that's where it started. And then we got some development time at Space at Rider Farm to build out some things, and we had some development time at Ars Nova, and we did a version of the show at Antfest two years ago. And then we did a project project residency a year and a half ago where we got got to like, you know, write a whole record and like build out a two act version of this play. So it's been really exciting, but also really like it's tough. It's tough to get. I feel like when you write a play that's all your own, it's easy to orchestrate a reading. Hey, are you available? Can you read this part? We're going to have a reading and then just do it. But when it's six people who all have different schedules and it actually is like the piece is dependent on those specific six people right being in the same room one i did really well picking such great people everybody's busy all the time Mm -hmm. everybody's all over the country (laughs) oh man it's like the biggest challenge of working on this piece is just getting everybody in the same room worth it to have you know the people we have um yeah, but of course it's it's a passion project and yeah. usually they're off working on things that they're getting, you know, their paycheck for. Totally. And you can't expect people to like, you know, prioritize uh this over that. Like I haven't been able to do that either. Like I had to leave town, like um 
I don't know. I totally get it, but it is tough because I think it's something we all really care about and are excited about and are hungry for time to work on it, but are also, you know, it's difficult to find the time to work on it. Yeah. But it is a project that I really am excited about and really believe in and also feel like the unique nature of the project, it being a reunion concert, it'll only serve us better as we get older. <laughs> you know, then it will really feel like these people are coming back together yeah. after a long time. Well, and how special it like I know Frankie loved creating a project with his best friend. The oh, fact man. that you and he like really organized everything and like, Yeah. Spent so much time writing and making sure that it happened. I know he he loved having that time with you. Yeah, it was so special. I was talking to my agent recently, and he was asking how the project was going, and I was saying the same stuff about it's hard to get everybody in the room. And he said, a project like that needs somebody who is going to, like, whip everybody's butts and get them in the same room, like a real, like, you know, taskmaster, a real, like, strong, firm hand. And I want to be that, but I, it's tough for me. Well, and it's hard when you're also a performer you're part of the cast yeah, so it's like yeah. it's not like you have a separate director who can take that role fully or a producer yeah. who can really just be the wrangler and let yeah. you guys be the artist yeah if there was which some is hard if there was like a producer who was like this is when the thing is happening there is some compensation even if it's like a hundred bucks for the week um just the idea that this is actually part of my profession and not just me donating my time even that like gesture it does so much just mentally to put you in the space of oh th i can put this into my schedule as a conflict and know that like any workshop if you have an audition if you have a job or whatever you can you know go do that thing but um i don't know i feel like i've got plans got plans for the future <laughs> but it's going to require uh a little bit of uh a little bit of support a little bit of risk and a little bit of support and for everybody to be in the same town. <laughs> Which will happen. It'll yeah. happen eventually. But it's a, it's kind of that like two sides of the two sides of the teeter totter, let's two, say. Yeah. Like you're making your own work, which is amazing, and I yeah. know and you're working with people you love and it's feeding you. And then the other side is, Oh, I'm not getting paid for this. Yeah. It takes a lot of my other time to organize it and produce it and Yeah. Back and forth. Producing is its whole its own whole other thing yeah. it's a learned skill i feel like and i'm trying to learn about it but I, I i'm much more comfortable on the other side of yeah. like the creative side but you know just because i'm comfortable with it doesn't mean i should rest on it i should <laughs> try and do the other thing i think you're doing pretty well thanks can we talk a little bit about like the financial part of being an actor and the ways you've found to deal with like the ups and downs and balancing not knowing what your yearly income will be every year? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like that too is something that's changed since being married. I, like before, before that, before, I got married a year, almost a year ago. Yeah, uh, you were there. Mm -hmm. Um, before that, uh, my attitude towards money was very different than Stephanie's. Um, but my attitude was kind of like, oh, it'll take care of itself. Uh, and I had that attitude, it's not that I didn't work or like, 
I graduated college and then I like worked in St. Louis and Chicago for about a year and a half and then moved to New York and I kind of like, you know, built up some savings, went to New York, spent my savings and like, (laughs) oh crap, I got to get a job now and went to a temp agency and that was really scary for me at the time, but I like (laughs) did it. So I've like done the thing of where I'm going to work to make the money and then I'm, you know, doing the play, which doesn't pay the money. But I, and then I went to school and forgot about money for a while. Um, but, uh, I always had this idea for better or for worse. Oh, the money will take care of itself. And it did for a while, but like when it's just you, you know what you need and what you don't need. And so I always felt comfortable. And then when it's me and my wife or my, you know, before she was my wife, you know, me and my girlfriend, my fiance, think about money a little differently and uh, think about the future a little differently. And so especially since we started getting married, since we got married, (laughs) since we we started like (laughs) the getting married process, meaning engaged, it's never finished, (laughs) never finished. Um, But we have to approach money together and I've got my own opinion and she's got her own opinion, which is like, I feel comfortable knowing that I am making my living happen and I'm taking the steps necessary to do that. And if I had had that attitude earlier on, I might have been acting and also scraping by every moment I can to just increase the money in my bank account. But I kind of like let my bank account go up and down and was never starving, but like I also didn't have to get a day job. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I felt very lucky about that. And also looking back, I could have gotten a day job and I might have a couple thousand more in the bank now, but I just didn't. Um, but now that we're married, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. <laughs> Three, two, one. Dick okay. Tracy. <laughs> um, now that we're married, we've actually pooled our finances mm-hmm. and we have one joint savings account and one joint checking account and that's it. And in a way, it's something very emotional that we're still dealing with it's surprisingly emotional like never experienced that before and right now stephanie is bringing home most of the bacon and i'm bringing home minimal bacon (laughs) but you know it's like a like the teeter-totter you Mm -hmm. know then it'll come my when i have a job that pays really well i'll be bringing home the bacon and she'll be able to not worry about so much bacon (laughs) a lot of cholesterol um (laughs) so i feel like the money thing I I just think about differently now because we're trying to build a family together and, and planning for the future. Planning for the future. And I feel like I think neither one of us can really change our fundamental feelings about money, but we're kind of moving both towards the middle um between our different perspectives. For instance, um I have, uh, I feel like in part of this always keeping busy, I would teach myself things. I've learned guitar. I, over the last seven or eight years, I've learned animation and that's become something I'm really excited about and going down that path. But, um, guitar, for instance, I just started learning cause I wanted to, and then eventually it paid off. been doing this show for a while now where I play guitar and uh, I'm getting paid to play it. Yeah. And like, that's only because I sat in my room and read some books and like watched some DVDs and 
you know, nobody told me to, nobody paid me to do it, but now I am getting paid. And so now I feel like that feeling that used to be, what am I excited about? I'm going to go learn about it and do that is still there, but it's more narrowed and focused to, okay, animation is something I am very excited about and I like doing. How can I turn that into something that is a means of income within my control one, two, three, four, five years down the road? How can I take those steps now? So even in the individual um, passion pursuit, how is that still adding to the future of our family? So I feel like um, I mean, that's smart. As long as you can make, still keep your joy in it without yeah. trying to monetize it so hard that you, you, you totally. lose why you got interested in it. Because if it, you can turn it into like a side career, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it would be great. It, it might happen. It might not happen, but I'm excited about it. And so either way, it's going to be good. Yeah. And it, I think you're right that if you try and think about the money too soon, you'll just shut down all creativity that's you know that's part of the dark side like um sometimes i you know i'm sitting and i'm in my at my desk at my new (laughs) desk thanks honey that was a great christmas present uh i'm at my desk and i'm working on this little animated short that i feel like i need to make in order to like you know have a little calling card of what i can do but it's something i really care about and believe in and i'm like taking little lessons in maya which is a 3d animation software just so that i can like go down that road and see if that's something i can do if that's a skill i can learn and then like you know use in the market but sometimes i have that feeling there this is the dark side when it comes to this of like i'm just making this stuff and like will this ever like lead to a job there are all these people who go to school for this and have done this since they were like 10 uh, what am I doing sitting here in my in my room at my desk learning this stuff from YouTube? But, um, but what you say is true that if you try and put the monetary value on it too soon, you will just stop everything. It's probably true for a lot of stuff. Like, Well, that's the thing that I worry about acting is that, yeah. you know, when it's, you're just doing it for creativity's sake and enjoyment it's so pure and then when you try to monetize it it can become this whole when you try to make it a career which is possible but yeah it comes with all these other burdens of putting this different pressure on yourself yeah it's true it's a fine line to walk on (laughs) it is i feel like the the best possible organizing principle for that i mean it's tough to make money doing theater it's tough and when you do make money it's not a lot but um sometimes you do something because you really care about it and sometimes you do something because it's like well i gotta keep working you know and Mm -hmm. both are totally valid and good but i feel like when there are situations where there's this thing i can do but i am not like passionately committed to it um i feel like there are times where i feel like now i have to say no to those things because i have to look at the other side of it of like well that's going to take away from time you know with my wife time with my own projects time with whatever and like both things don't pay but uh 
there is this other thing that I really care about and uh, I am going to choose to devote my time to that thing I really care about. I feel like those are the things that even if they don't pay off, I feel like great about it. And like mm-hmm. when things do pay off, it's us- it's usually the project you really care about. Uh, like, man, three-day hangover, you know? Yeah. Like everybody involved in that is so like committed to it, excited about it. And now they've really like blown up, you know? Or even, uh, I've been doing this show for a while called Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. And we all started doing that show over at Ars Nova, mm, 2012. And oh my gosh, it's really been that long. It's, been, it's, it's the whole length of Steph- Stephanie and I's relationship. Oh my gosh. <laughs> doing that show. <laughs> but we all like really, really cared about it. And now it's coming to Broadway in the fall and it's, it's like... It's paying off now, yeah. the long-term commitment to this project. Yeah. You've definitely devoted your time. Yeah, yeah. And everybody has. And everybody's devoted their whole their whole selves because they care about the thing. And I've definitely been part of shows that had a lot of promise or a lot of excitement, like, oh, this is going to go to Broadway. This is going to be great. This is going to be fantastic. But um, the expectation of where it's going to go sometimes gets in the way of it going there. Either it makes mm. people so afraid of negative criticism that they can't overleap that uh, or it makes people like doubt their where they are on the track because they're like this is supposed to be going the whole distance and we're getting stopped up right here uh so we we must be terrible you know right this that thinking about the outcome really makes it tough to go anywhere because you like kind of smother the thing before it has a chance to kind of expand and find out what it wants to be are you getting are you getting excited about doing your first broadway show oh man i'm so excited (laughs) i kind of can't believe it it's been so you know we had we had this meeting with uh the amazing producers howard kagan and janet kagan um we had this meeting with them in boston where they told us this is really happening but we had had that meeting so many times. We were doing it <laughs> down at, down in Midtown and down in the Meatpacking District because it was always almost going to happen. We had this meeting so many times where it didn't go that way that when it finally happened, it was like... Really? Yeah. I now? like <laughs> screamed out loud before I even realized I was screaming with joy. <laughs> um, but I also didn't believe it, you know? It's so exciting. It's so exciting for everybody involved. Like... One of those things, you know, the passion project thing of like people are devoting themselves to this play and this music and going home and, oh man, during that rehearsal process, I just spent all my time learning all these crazy songs on the guitar. Yeah, because um, all the actors play, there, there's some dedicated musicians, right? There's then some dedicated musicians. Most of the actors play instruments as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been a couple of years since I saw it. It's been a couple of years. It's changed. There's a big new dance break. It's oh, totally really? fun. Oh, you'll love it. I can't wait. Um, but uh, yeah, we we dedicated ourselves to that just because it's really beautiful. And it didn't get big because there was a celebrity in it or because... It was a, a property people, you know, it wasn't the wedding singer. Or it wasn't something mm-hmm. people, oh, oh, I got to see that. I mean, people maybe love the book and come, but I don't know, it was just, it was successful because it was very earnest and beautiful. 
And it feels exciting when those things pay off. And you don't know when those things are going to pay off. And you can't do it thinking, I'm going to do this run at Ars Nova, thinking one day it's going to get me to Broadway. You can't do anything <laughs> like that. But sometimes it does. Um, well, congratulations. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Um, can we talk a little bit about what your family makes of you being an actor? And Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've been uh, amazingly supportive. Uh, I'm I'm Indian. I come from an Indian household. My parents came here for college in the '70s, and they're I'm the first actor in my immediate family. First, like person pursuing any kind of artistic endeavor, and I came to it really late when I was in college, and I think when I first started flirting with the idea. There was a lot of trepidation, a lot of like, are you sure, you know, maybe you should pick a safety job just in case. All out of like love and concern because it's a scary thing. I mean, if my, if our kid says I want to be an actor, I'll be like, oh, honey, it's really tough. Be careful. Be careful. <laughs> we'll support you. But had you we'll... already, had you chosen another major before you found theater or not really? No, I was a kind of a, a free radical, you know, mm -hmm. unsigned. <laughs> unmajored person until my junior year and I chose English Lit my junior year um, and then I got an acting minor chose that my senior year I had taken the courses but I think they were afraid but then they started to understand and accept it like around the time I started to understand and accept it and it was amazing there was a period where we all knew and agreed, okay, this is happening. I'm going to try this. And then eventually we had to say it to extended family. And it was a bit scary for me and for my mom and dad. I remember sitting around with some uncles and aunties and they said, what do, what do you do? And I said, I'm an actor. And mom was like, oh my gosh, that's the moment I recognized, I realized that's, that's what you do. That's who you are. And the amazing thing is all these people came out of the woodwork. I thought they were going to say, because I had been met with some like extended, extended family who were very critical of that. Like, oh, you got to get a good job. You got to be mm -hmm. an engineer. You got to be a doctor. You got a lawyer. That's a good job. One, one of them said, if you've got the brain for it. And I was like, whoa, man, hey. bleep you. Come on now. Um, Throw down the gauntlet. Yeah. And uh, like, it felt so insulting. And um, but so I was scared to say that. But I said it, and then one uncle was like, you know what? I always wanted to be a singer, and then huh. started singing to his wife. Oh, my gosh. And I feel like there's been so much, um, I don't know, as a child of um, immigrants, you know, there, there's this idea they came to this country to make a better life and to make a better life for their kids and their family, and now this generation has the luxury of being able to pursue things that they really want to and not just pursue how do I make this life happen, which is like I will never be able to express how grateful I am for that and how amazed I am by that. Um, but they've been, I think, really supportive. I mean, this is in a way exactly what they came here to do, to make this life so that the future generation could be themselves and now and now you know we're at we're tipping on that precipice all of us where we are like all right now we're getting ready to like invite the future generation in <laughs> we got to make this foundation strong so that they can be themselves 
And we learned that from our parents of like, how do you let your children become themselves while also protecting them and making it possible <laughs> for them to go to college, <laughs> you know? So they've been amazingly supportive. They come see all the shows. They, um, I was on a soap opera for a while and they would DVR every episode. Mom actually, I think, got addicted to this show. I don't think she'll <laughs> she ever quite still, admit it. No, not still. Not still. It's, it's off the air now. But um, oh, I love your parents. Yeah, they're great. Um, and then your brother does something completely different. From completely you. different. He oddly. Know, he's so he's so proud of you. He's the best. He's the best. I'm proud of him too. He uh, is a banker. He works uh, with a company and kind of decides or pitches different companies to get loans from the bank. That's how the bank brings in money by selling these loans. Um, but he did speech and debate and drama in high school. I think partly because I did. It's like, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it better. He's got a real like, <laughs> go get him. I'm going to be the best attitude. which just served him really well. It's gotten him into some trouble, uh, but it also served him really well. So he came out of school and uh, he, before he graduated, he had a job at this bank, Santander, and uh, here in New York. Um, and he's really like just skyrocketed in the last, I guess, eight years since he's been here. Wow, eight years. Wow. Is that right? I guess so. Yeah. yeah. He's 30 now. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. But so he, although he does something completely different, he still has a real love of the arts. He's he's getting really involved right now on the producerial side, trying to get involved with some nonprofits. He's worked with 52nd Street Theater Project a mm-hmm. lot. Um, so I think he still has a deep appreciation for all that stuff and wants to participate in uh, in the way that he's really good at, which is like getting people aware of good stuff, getting people to donate to good causes. We should team up. He should be the... He should be... I think we're finding the answer. He should be the producer. We did it. Episode 19, we found the answer. (laughs) You can be the creator. Yeah. That's fascinating to me too, since I don't have any family in the city that you guys got to live together for a long time. Yeah. When you were at Juilliard and when you graduated. Yeah. To have somebody who knows you that well right here when you're dealing with the midst of the stress of the city it's a real gift real gift yeah him and also you know the family you kind of find and make for yourself um Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like that inner circle it can't be very big by design the inner inner circle but so necessary and such a blessing they're the ones you talk to when you go to the dark side as well. <laughs> it's true, and you know that they won't they won't judge you about it. So I know we're all getting to this age where we're thinking about if we want kids and if, if we want to have kids, how that'll work, being actors. Where are you at right now thinking about it and trying to figure out what that would look like for you and Stephanie, li- living in the city, leaving the city, both acting, both not acting? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we definitely, we definitely know it's something we want. We want it really badly. We're both like very excited about it. Um, but how to do it is really tough when there's no steady income. It almost feels sometimes it feels like, oh, you got to get rich enough to buy a baby. That's what it feels <laughs> like, you know. But it's not that way, and we have to remind ourselves that it's not that way, 
And my parents had like, you know, two dimes to their name when I was born. Yeah. And um, so we will figure it out as it goes, just like everybody else did. <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever ready to do yeah, it. There's this pressure for some reason. I feel this pressure yeah. to like have it all planned out and to know that it's the right time and I have the right amount of money in my savings account. Yeah. I totally get it. I feel that pressure too. For some very good reasons. Because yeah. you don't want to be struggling when you have a newborn baby. You don't want to be struggling too much. You want to yeah. know you have health insurance. and Yeah, you don't want to be on the breadline. Yeah, but totally. there has to be somewhere in the middle where you're like, yeah. oh, I, I can move on with my life even though I don't have everything figured out. Yeah, yeah. And for the first few years, you have, you know, this little creature that can't depends upon you for everything. But then a certain point comes and you have just your family and your like ally and your, I don't know. It's just those first few years that are terrifying of like, how will I make the money, but also have the time to spend and also Mm -hmm. feed them and bond with them, but also have to go to the show. Do I want to keep having to do shows when I have a kid? Like all these questions come up, but we do know it's something we really want and we have kind of it's interesting my wife has this great theater company called the mad ones and they have a couple of awesome gigs coming up they have a fall a show in the fall at the bushwick star that they're writing they write all their own work and uh another show at ours nova where they're the resident company happening sometime uh we think in the 2017 2018 season and so it's actually had a it's had to be part of our discussion in terms of, well, I know I've got this show at this time and that show at that time. And so this is when we could feasibly have a kid in the next three years. And so we have to kind of look at a calendar. <laughs> like I really have to plan ahead Yeah, here. <laughs> in a way, it's so daunting and crazy. And in another way, it's so helpful to like, <laughs> no, well, like if we're going to do it, it's got to be sometime within this window. All right. But I think this uh, Broadway gig is a real blessing in terms of that because it's helping, you know, okay, there's going to be a job that starts in the fall and we'll pay roughly this much and uh, we'll be pretty consistent. So have the health insurance, have the income coming in, um, you'll have your income coming in and then if you need to take a step away from that, I'll have my income coming in to support us, Uh, you know, the scale will teeter i'll bring home the bacon uh right now i'm house husband which is also an equally important job uh but then i'll be bringing home the bacon um but so we we definitely want to do it and i think the desire is there the means to do it are something we're going to keep looking for um do you ever get excited when you meet older actors who have a family and who have kids? Oh yeah. Cuz I get so, I get so like I'm so happy to meet you. Yeah. And just to know that it's possible. Yeah, it can work. And that that people find a way. Yeah. I've had people say that um somebody said to me you know the whole thing of you put out positive energy and it positive energy comes back to you and same with negative energy but that when you have a baby you're just putting so much positive energy out into the world hmm. that it all comes back to you and they say oh it's crazy i had a baby and all of a sudden the job started happening and it's not like i think that oh well if we have a baby then we'll both get famous <laughs> like real quick <laughs> but i think maybe when i just imagine what it might feel like um 
I have a, a friend uh, um, named Hank Stratton over in California, and he has a beautiful little girl who is now like 16 or something. I met her when she was a kid. and Oh, man, it's crazy. But he said the moment she was born, all of a sudden his whole consciousness shifted, and he thought everything I do is for this baby. Um, and I feel like that feeling of, well, everything I'm doing is for the baby might you know, combat some of those voices in your head of like, am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I going right. to get it? Do they like me? Or do they the like what I'm doing? Take the focus off of yourself. Yeah. Like, this is a job. This is me. I'm going to go in. If you want to give me this job, good. If not, see you later. On to the next one. And like, I don't know. I, f- I feel like there might be uh, an aid, not just in auditioning and all that stuff, but... Just the practicality of like, I care less about what you think of me. I'm just going to go do what I need to do and get what I need to get in order to take care of this new life. Um, So I feel like that feeling of meeting older actors and, you know, seeing them and their families and it's so beautiful and uh, inspiring. And also like, they just did it. It's not like they got permission to do it and then mm-hmm. did it they just did it which is totally radical and it's and totally empowering and we were just talking about um uh pre-interview <laughs> lee and i were having a little espresso and talking about arcs delicious. of time delicious espresso lee makes a great espresso <laughs> um arcs of time and how when you have a long arc of time you can uh i mean, just look at time differently like when the kid is born, there's an 18-year arc of time, you think in. Um, so in a way, it's like when I'm thinking right now about learning this new, you know, 3D animation, for example, which is something I haven't done. I've done 2D stuff, but 3D stuff is still like, you know, in the fuzzy future. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I think about it in terms of, okay, if Stephanie and I are hoping to have a kid, you know, within the next two, three years. Um, And by the time the kid is born and I want to be able to have the option to work from home in between jobs where I can take care of our child and still let get income in. So that's three years from now, for example. Um, I don't have to feel too bad about being terrible at this right now because I know that I don't understand it right now, but maybe a year from now, two years from now, I will have had so much time if I like allow myself to be bad at it for a little while in order to learn it. So that big arc of time kind of helps me, I don't know. Put things in perspective. Put things in perspective, yeah. Is there anything from the past few years that you're really proud of that you want to tell me about? Mm. Could be a project or it could be just something that you that you learned or that you experienced i am proud of my relationship with stephanie i feel like we have i don't know it's been a a real unexpected and amazing you know asteroid that came into my planet <laughs> and 
was so bright in the sky and everybody was like oh i'll worship this asteroid as a new god and then <laughs> crashed and then it killed all the dinosaurs and it was like whoa this is a real asteroid oh my god this destroyed the planet and then you know we had to you know regrow the vegetation in this new <laughs> world but then as we regrew the vegetation and new life forms started to sprout and we examined the asteroid and we we're like whoa this is actually like a beautiful strange gem that we've never even had on this planet before <laughs> we're gonna start a new currency and it just was a whole new world and we we were um we were watching the godfather last night and we were talking about like going on vacation and talking about kids and thinking man i wish we had just a couple more years of being married before we had kids but we're both like, you know, we have to think about our, both of our biological clocks, mm -hmm. you know? And like, what if we had met each other earlier? Or what if we hadn't done all the hard work that we did when the asteroid crashed to the planet? What if the asteroid had just kind of like floated around the planet for a while? We were like, so pretty and like kind of <laughs> glided to the planet. Um, but we look at that time and realize like, now we get to live our lives the rest of our lives with this foundation of our amazingly like open and supportive and mutually loving and accepting and honest and totally free relationship we get to live the whole rest of our lives like that and it's not like it was easy to get to that point went through mm -hmm. some tough times but like feel very proud of both of us that we like did something really unique and scary and ultimately so beautiful and both had to grow up so much so fast um but yeah i think i'm probably proudest of that that makes me <laughs> so happy um all right these are these are meaningless questions now that we've had oh. that last one we just need to end with that yeah bring it but on there's a few other ones that i always ask um, do you have any concrete things that you reach for time and again when you need to pull yourself out of the dark side? Books yeah. or things uh, you turn back to? I think um, there are a couple things. I uh, There's this book called When Things Fall Apart uh, by Pema Chodron, which is uh, um, it was really helpful in terms of the idea of a whole lot of things, but fear how we approach fear and if we can name fear we kind of take away its power and sometimes we distract ourselves from feeling the fear instead of just feeling the fear and letting that be okay and then moving forward i feel like that book although i don't turn back to it very often i feel like it's kind of organized a lot of ways i think about fear and stuff um listen to music all the time i'm a big fan of listening to albums all the way through and there are a couple albums that I've played, you know, X thousand times that I, are, I just find so beautiful and inspiring, like Hospice by The Antlers, just a beautiful, uh, fully formed, little quiet hushed opera about a man at a, the side of a woman who's dying in a hospital. Um both of Bon Iver's records just play start mm. to finish over yeah. and over again. Uh, this album by a band called The Good Life 
called the album of the year which tracks this relationship from its beginning to end over the course of 12 songs which are all are charted to 12 months of the year the cd book was a, a calendar for that one back when you actually got you know actual cds oh, cool. with a book check-in and uh this band cursive tim casher who is uh, the frontman for The Good Life also has this other band called Cursive, and they have an album called The Ugly Organ, which every artist should listen to. It's kind of, uh, oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's kind of like the uh, the scene, the duologue between Tim Kasher, the rock god, and Tim Kasher, the battered monster who lives in the closet. And Tim Kasher, the rock god, is like, get in that closet and whips him into you know, submission and because he needs to write his songs. So the monster is like, I woke up with this woman. I didn't even know what I was doing here. This is terrible. And Tim Casher's like, you got to do that shit. Like, I got to I gotta make all these huh. songs. All these people are screaming my name. Um, it's so, so good. Okay, Tales from go, the Ugly Organ. need to go listen to that. And, you know, the ugly organ is the monster in the closet. But the guy who's singing is the, you know, the pretty boy everybody wants mm. to have sex with, you know. That's really good. Also, I think the biggest thing, I journal. Um, I try and do it every day. Uh, and if I don't do it every day, I at least journal about every day. So I've got this like wow. chicken scratch record that nobody can read um, from like when I was maybe 25 until now. It's like nine years. And I feel like that really helps me to kind of um, organize my thoughts and Faulkner has this quote about journaling. He says, how do I know what I think until I see what I say? And mm. I feel like that helps whenever I'm processing something or upset or confused or scared or worried or whatever. Sometimes writing it down just kind of helps me see what I'm really thinking. Are there any shows you've seen recently that really moved you or that you want to recommend? Well, like every of your guests before, I just saw Hamilton. Yes. Holy hell. Yeah, we haven't talked about it yet. Oh my God, it was so good. It's really tough. Like when people say something is great so much and you go and watch it, you and you just want to watch it and receive the thing, but you're also watching it and thinking about, oh my God, this is so great. Like as you're watching it, and so I watched it, and like I'm not a, I'm not really a, I don't cry a lot in the theater, um, or at stuff in general. I get moved a lot, but I definitely cried during Hamilton. Um, oh man, and like I almost cried more listening to the record than I did during the thing during the play because <laughs> I was actually like able to not think about oh my god what I'm watching is so good and just like listening to it before the fact or after the fact after I we tried so hard not to listen to it before we went to see right. it and we we you pretty much 98% did mm -hmm. it it was tough it's yeah. everywhere but we got to see it and it was so beautiful and made us think about the future and the past and oh man it was so good it's beautiful yeah Okay. I want to go well, back. That, that conversation is to be continued. Yeah. Anything else do you want to shout um, out? I remember this um, thing my teacher said to me in college um, that if this goes along with the long arcs of time thing, but she said, write down a list of things you want that you, how did you say it? Three, two, one, Nick jokes. <laughs> uh, things like if you wrote down a list of, of 
things you would tell yourself five years from now, like, I wish I had learned the guitar or I wish I had done this or whatever. Five Reg years in the future or five, five years, years in the, the future? Like okay. if, if me, I was like 21 when I took that class or 22, she was like, okay, you're 26, 27. What are five things you would look back at your 21, 22 year old self and say, I wish you had done this. I wish you had flossed more. I wish you had gone to the gym consistently. I wish you had learned to play the guitar. I wish you had learned to code. And I wish you had, you know, um, taken up juggling. You write that list down. It's like, These are five things I think I feel pretty confident I would wish I had done. They're like, okay, great. Now do them. And you have five years to do them. And it's that thing of I'm giving myself permission to suck at it for a while. I've talked to hmm. friends like I'm, I'm trying to get better at the piano. Um, and it's really tough to do because, you know, I can play the guitar, but, um, when I play the piano, I suck. I'm so bad. And kids can learn all this stuff and they can, um, do it, like learn really well because they're okay with being bad. I mean, being bad is actually really impressive for a kid. And so they have permission to just keep, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but it's really tough when you're a grown person to allow yourself to be bad at something for a while. And so I think that gets in the way of like progressing past to that state of being bad to being okay, to being good, to being proficient, um, or to being proficient, to being good. And that's great. Um, but so I think that thing she said really helped me rem remove the kind of obstacle in my brain of how do I get to be good at something? Oh, I have to let myself be bad at it. How do I let myself be bad at it? I have to decide it is okay that I'm terrible at it. And of course I have to be terrible about it because I've never done it before. And like, there's no other way. You can't just start by being good at something. Um, yeah. Unless you're Leo Walsh. No. <laughs> and from episode one of the compass, no. everything's clicking along. That's this. my goal this year is to forgive myself for not being good at it right away and to finally learn Spanish. Oh, nice. Which, Muy bueno. as you know, I've been saying I wanted to do since yeah. Frankie and I started dating. But that's really good. And now it's been nine and a half years later. Yeah. Almost nine and a half years later. Um, so I'm really going to buckle down and uh, apply myself this nice. year. We already have a foundation of Italian. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I mean, I've, I have the Rosetta Stone. I have absolutely no excuse. Yeah. yeah. But I'll I'll work on it for a month and then I'll just not touch it for six yeah. months. So this yeah. is this is the year I'm gonna try to, you know, and I have someone to practice with. But I'm embarrassed that I'm not good at it, which yeah. doesn't make any sense because I've never spoken it before, really. It's that thing of so, naming. This is what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid yeah, of. I just need to go for it and yeah, be okay with it. I um, <laughs> I remember trying to learn Hindi. I've always wanted to know Hindi, but I haven't taken enough steps to actually learn it. But I do remember trying to learn it, doing Rosetta Stone and coming home and kind of testing out some of my Hindi, you know, somebody, I can't remember who, I tried to say, uh, I'm not going to say it now because I'm embarrassed, but the word <laughs> for horse, and there's this sound, I'll say it, it's like gorda or something, and everybody who's Indian right now is going to laugh at me, um, but uh, <laughs> it's because there's this uh, this consonant in there, where it's not gora, and it's not goda, it's like ra, ra, and uh, mm -hmm. so I come to them i'd say horse is gora and they'd be like no is it goda no and they go rah, rah, rah. and i was like i don't know what you're saying i right don't now. hear the difference i don't hear the difference <laughs> it's because it's a consonant i've never heard yeah. i have no like category to put it in 
But that feeling of I'm being like laughed at, not like people were making fun of right. me, but it it would be just like somebody learning to speak English and calling a baguette like a baguette or something. You'd be like, that's hilarious. But that feeling of needing to get over that idea that you're going to have a dialect for a while, like an American yeah. dialect. And uh, they're going to laugh just because it's funny. Just like any dialect can be going. funny. It's got to keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Nick, thank you so, so much for talking with me. Thank you. I was wondering if you wanted to share a couple of your songs with us. Uh, so part of putting things out there that you really care about us, my wife and I are working on this play with this director, uh, Ben Kamine about Rasputin, who's just a fascinating fellow. And so we're still in the very early phases, but one thing uh, I've got is this very rough draft of a song, kind of folk song uh, about Rasputin, sung by Rasputin. If you don't know anything about the guy, look him up. He's a really crazy guy. Well, I come from the country, raised on bread and wine. I survived my mama, first of two of nine. And I beat my daddy when it was my time. Oh, Lord, I've been all around this land. I went looking for Jesus, wandered here to Galilee Sought him in the valley, the river and the tree Found him on a mountain, Mary said he wasn't me Oh Lord, I've been all around this land I came into the kingdom to see the king and queen Told them about the power I got from old Marie She said, my boy is dying I said, you leave that to me Oh Lord, I've been all around this land Queen told me, honey, I'm gonna do just what you say. Told her about tomorrow, like it was today. Wish I'd seen it coming when some bitch gave me the blade. Oh Lord, I've been all around this land.
Thank you for listening to the Compass Podcast. I'm Leah Walsh. More episodes are coming soon. Please look for us on Facebook and iTunes. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller. Music by Brendan Spieth. Audio assistance from Nick Choksi. And a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.